Willie was singing there. Little things I should have said and done. I just never took the time. Poor Willie. Maybe he was just too busy. My wife and I joked that uh, maybe he was too busy writing songs, braiding his hair, and um, growing potted plants. Actually, he didn't write that song, but he did make it famous. In 1982, that ballad won him the male vocal of the year, including a Grammy. Uh, The album, entitled by the same name, Always On My Mind, won number one country album of the year. And the song itself topped both country charts and the pop charts. So evidently, that song struck a chord with people everywhere. Really great songs have a habit of doing that. They grab a hold of you and they express something that you feel deeply. And it seems something in many, many people across the country and probably worldwide realizes that we don't really take the time for the important things and realize how important they are until it's too late. And you know, Willie isn't the only one to sing about this concept. The psalmist in Psalm 39.4 says, Show me, O Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life is. And again in Psalm 90, he says, Teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. We only have so much time on planet Earth, and we don't know how long it is. And the psalmist in both of these psalms really says what Willie was saying. Little things I should have said and done, but I never took the time. Time, it seems, is a zero-sum game. Does everybody know what that is? Zero-sum? It means if you add to something else, you're automatically taking away from something else. It's a fixed number, okay? You cannot simultaneously be doing the good stuff while at the same time doing the great stuff. You only get to do one or the other, and when you do more in that category, it takes away from this category and vice versa. And so I have a question for you guys this morning, and the question is, have you ever neglected the important to take care of the urgent? I'll say that again. Have you neglected the important to take care of the urgent? In 1967, Charles Hummel wrote a pamphlet that later became really famous and became a book. It's called The Tyranny of the Urgent. Maybe some of you guys have heard of this before. And he covers this idea that if we had more time in our days, that the stuff that we know we should be doing, we would get it all done. And he calls it the tyranny of the urgent. And he he asks this question. He says, okay, so what if we had a 36-hour day instead of 24 hours? Surely then the important stuff, we'd have more time to get it done. But then he argues and he says, no, that's not the case. Listen to what he says here. This is a long quote, so I didn't put the whole thing up here, but just listen to these words. There's a lot of wisdom in this. He says, When we stop to evaluate, we realize that our dilemma goes deeper than a shortage of time. It is basically the problem of priorities. Several years ago, an experienced cotton mill manager said to me, Your greatest danger is letting the urgent things crowd out the important He didn't realize how hard his maxim hit me. It often returns to haunt and rebuke me by raising the critical problem of priorities in my heart. 
We live in a constant tension between the urgent and the important. The problem is that the important task rarely must be done today or even this week. Extra hours of prayer and Bible study or a visit with that non-Christian friend, careful study of an important book, these projects usually can wait. But the urgent tasks call for instant action, and they are endless in their demands, with pressures every hour, every day. We sadly realize that we have become slaves to the tyranny of the urgent. The urgent crowds out the important. The sad thing is our relationships usually fall into this important category. When we think about the two most important relationships in our lives, that of our relationship with God and our relationship with our spouse, those are the top two in that order. We usually make the mistake of leaving those things on the back burner to tend to the urgent stuff. And we think we'll have time tomorrow. Little things I should have said and done. And the problem is, is that the important relationships in our life that we put on the back burner so that we can do the urgent stuff, all too often, those relationships crumble over time and they move from the important category to now the urgent category. And we end up going to our pastors, our counselors, and unfortunately to attorneys to sort through our wreckage. We've been spending time in this series to really encourage you guys to take the time to do the little things, not tomorrow, but today, to focus on those little things that need to get done so that your marriage doesn't end up in wreckage. Guys, I want to encourage you today. If you walk away with nothing else, walk away with this right here. Make your marriage a priority in your life. Invest time and money on it. You guys have heard Charlie and or me say this many times. If you really want to know what somebody really cares about, don't listen to their words. Look at their calendar and look at their checkbook register. Time and money. And we'll find out what really means the most to you. That's just the truth. That's how we operate. So in your relationship, in your marriage, spend time and money on it. It's an investment. Okay? It's the little things. And you have to be on guard because, again, they tend to get backburnered. You have to be vigilant and you have to be proactive in your relationship with your spouse. Because seemingly insignificant things that get neglected grow into really big problems over time. In the Song of Solomon, it says this, chapter 2, if you have your Bible, open it with me. Chapter 2, Song of Solomon, in verse 15. Now, if you know the Song of Solomon... This is a ballad between a man and a woman. And this is the woman sharing with us right here. And she says in verse 15, Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, for our vineyards are in bloom. It's really short, so I'm going to read it again. Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, for our vineyards are in bloom. Now in those days... Guys, when they had a vineyard, they didn't have like predator wire and barbed wire and electric fencing and stuff like that to keep stuff out of their gardens, okay? What they did have was rocks, and so they would build these rock walls, these tall rock walls to go around their vineyard. 
And so here's this young woman, and she's very wisely, she's wise beyond her years, she's wisely asking for help from the people she trusts in her life with her relationship. Okay? And that's important. She's not prideful. She doesn't think she has it all together. And she's asking the people she trusts, help us catch these little foxes. They get into our vineyard and they ruin our vineyard. Okay? And she's making an analogy here. She's making a word picture. You see, the rock walls could keep out the big stuff. Right? Nobody's standing at the altar with the pastor on their marriage day going, hey, pastor, um, can you really help this guy not get arrested for peddling drugs? Like, we assume that's a pretty big deal. That's a big fox. Nobody says, hey, pastor, um, can you um, talk to my wife about remaining faithful to me and not committing adultery? We assume that's a big fox, right? But it's these little things that sneak through the gap in the rocks. And this young woman here is saying, hey, gals, I need help. Look at our relationship and see what little foxes might be in our relationship and and tell me about them so we can catch them and we can take them out of there. Because the idea here was that the little foxes would get in and nibble on the blooms that says the vineyard was in bloom, okay? You don't get fruit unless blooms are allowed to grow into fruit, okay? So she's saying, our relationship is budding. It's growing. We're going to be getting married, and I want you to help me even now identify the things in our marriage, the things in our relationship that could grow into problems over time. And so catch these little foxes. It's a cry for surveillance and diligence. And so she's asking for help. As I thought about this this week, I thought of three main categories of little foxes, and I'm going to move really quickly through these, okay? You're going to see on your sermon notes that there's about 11 or 12 lines, and I want to encourage you, um, husband and wife, to take notes on these and just write down what these little foxes are, okay? And here's a, here's a fun game. It's kind of like the newlywed game. When you get home, talk about this together and say, which one of these do you think is a little fox? And circle it, and then maybe give it to your spouse and have them circle which ones they think. And, and let's see if y'all are concerned about the same things because oftentimes you're concerned about different things. And so each party needs to realize what the spouse is concerned about. Okay? So the first one, I'm, I'm going to move really quickly. The first one is foxes that steal time. Foxes that steal time. Someone has said, kids spell love. Say it with me if you know it. T. I-M-E. You've heard that before, right? I got news for you. Kids are not the one who spell love, T-I-M-E. People spell love, T-I-M-E. Time is the commodity of every relationship in your life, including your relationship with God. You show me somebody who says they care for someone, that their relationship is of primary importance to them, and then in the same breath they say they spend very little time with that person and very little time on that relationship and I'll show you a liar. Okay? We spend time on the things that are important to us and our relationships, all of them, as human beings, we know that inherently and the people that are willing to spend time with us, we know that they communicate love to us. All right? So time is important. That's why I wanted to go through this one first. Here they are. Number one, hobbies. Hobbies can steal away time. Okay? Quick tip, find some hobbies to do together as man and woman. 
Okay, find some things that you can do together and balance them with your family time. Don't let hobbies get out of control. Okay, work hours. Don't, don't be working 60, 70 hours a week and expect your marriage and expect your parenting to go without flaw. Okay, it's going to be difficult. It's going to be really difficult to do that. Work hours. Next one. Here's a, here's a one that we should be very familiar with. Smartphone and media. Smartphone and media. We've all seen the family of four or five sitting at the restaurant eating dinner together, quote unquote, and every one of them is on their phone. Right? You've seen the child text mom from her bedroom a question instead of getting up and walking in there and having a conversation. Right? You've seen families sit down at dinner at home with cell phones. That doesn't happen in my house doesn't happen, all right? Set those time aside. Put away those media devices, not just your phone. It's TV, okay? Husband and wife, kids are in bed. You've got like an hour or so before you pass out from exhaustion, okay? One of you watching the History Channel and the other one of you looking through um, your Pinterest board is not spending quality time together, even though you're in the same room. I've noticed this in my own life. It's really sad, It seems like I'm not entertained anymore unless I'm sitting on my bed with my cell phone texting somebody and replying to an email while having my iPad out looking at a video I've been wanting to research online while something on my Netflix queue is playing. We are consumers of media, and it's killing our relationships. There's nothing wrong with media within reason, okay? Next, kids and their activities. Kids and their activities. Your kids are not the center of your world. Teach them that early. Let them know you finish second to your mother and I. We're proud of it at my house. When one of our kids says, hey, mom, can I go outside and play? And mom says, after your chores are done. And then, hey, dad, can I go outside and play? What'd your mother say? Uh, whose team am I on? Um, what do you mean? Whose team am I on? I'm on mommy's team, aren't I? I'm on team mommy. I'm on team mommy. Go finish your chores. That's a common phrase back and forth. I'm on team daddy. I'm on team mommy. Okay? Your kids will just take every second of your time. Right? Moms, this is especially true for you. I saw a meme on Facebook the other day that said, My kids will run right past my husband laying on the couch watching TV and come bang on the bathroom door as I'm in there trying to relieve myself to say, Mom, can you open this candy wrapper for me? Right? Don't let them become the center of your life. What's your priorities again? Your relationship with who? First. Second is who? Third is your children. Okay? Teach them that early and let it be a lesson they take into marriage with their children as well. Okay? Next one. Foxes that steal intimacy. Foxes that steal intimacy. All right? The first one is familiarity with your spouse. If you've been around me, I have a phrase. You've heard me use this before. I call it the dust of familiarity. A lot of times in life, the things that are new and shiny to us, man, we adore them just like we did our spouse when we were courting them. And over time, we just kind of get used to them. I'm guilty of this myself with my wife. And I've taken to using a little twist of words. Watch this, it's little. 
I no longer refer to my wife as my wife. I call her my bride. I call her my bride. There's something different about that, isn't it? It's my bride. The one, men, when you were standing at the end of that long aisle and you looked back and that song started playing and her dad walked her towards you and you said, I cannot believe she was foolish enough to agree to this with a guy like me. Right? And you were like, wow, that's your bride. If we're honest, somewhere along the way, the dust of familiarity covers that. Don't let that happen. Don't let that happen, okay? Spend time with each other. Never stop treasuring each other. And that means, guys, don't stop courting your wives. Women, don't, start being, don't stop being amazed by the man that you married. Tell him, man, you are so good at blank. I respect you because of blank. You're a hero to our kids because of blank. Our kids look up to you so much because of blank. Let him feel like your superhero. And men, let your wife feel like, apart from God, she is the most important thing on planet Earth to you. And as time goes on, she only gets more precious to you. And prove it by planning time with her, T-I-M-E. Okay? Next, anger and resentment. This is a short one to talk about, but it's very difficult to do. Learn to forgive quickly, guys. My wife and I made a rule a long time ago. We are not going to bed angry. Seems like I read that somewhere before. We don't go to bed angry. We might go in another room for a while and think things through and cool off for a minute. But there's been several times where she or I will go into the other room with the other one and go, this isn't happening. This is not coming between us. It's not unimportant, but it is not more important than us. And we'll sit down and we'll talk about it. We talk about anger kind of like wet concrete. You can pour wet concrete on the ground, and if it's there and it's fresh, all it takes is a water hose to remove it. You leave it there overnight, and it's going to take a jackhammer. All right? Deal with things quickly. Learn to forgive quickly. All right? Poor communication is another one that steals intimacy. Poor communication. All right? Learn how to... When I say communication, what do you think of? Talking. Everybody said talking, didn't you? No. Learn how to... Listen well. Okay? And we're going to talk more about that in just a little while. Learn how to listen. Right? The Bible says be slow to speak and quick to listen. Mama said God gave you two ears and one mouth. Which one do you think he wants you to use more? Okay? The next category is foxes that prevent healing and growth. Foxes that prevent healing and growth. All right? Number one, separation from biblical community and no marriage mentors. I don't know what it is in human beings' DNA, because this is almost universal, and it's sad. But it usually occurs with people who have never been discipled by anyone. And you guys know at River Rock, discipleship is very, very important to us. Okay? But usually when a marriage starts getting a little bit rocky... Man and wife stop showing up at church. Man and wife stop showing up at community groups. They stop returning texts and phone calls from church friends. And that's playing right into the devil's hands. That's exactly what he wants you to do. Exactly. Right? Push 
into community with God during those times. And start early. You guys heard the McLeans talk about this in their video. Start early with really good biblical marriage counseling. Okay? Start early with building relationships that lead to discipleship. Relationship. That's kind of like a new word. That's a mix of relationship and discipleship. All right. Poor company. Oh, man. Poor company. Remove the naysayers of your marriage. And when I say remove them, I mean like with extreme prejudice. I'm not saying kill them, but I'm, I'm just saying like get them out of your ear. Let me tell you something. When you're frustrated about something and you're wanting to talk about your wife and you go to one of your buddies and you say, man, I cannot believe she did blah, blah, blah. The first words out of his mouth are, have you talked to her about that? No? Why are you talking to me? We call this the I just don't get it, friend. Your friend needs to go, I just don't get it, Stephen. This is not who you are. You need to go home and talk to your wife. I'll be praying for your marriage. How many of you need friends like that? I'm not going to ask how many of you have them because you probably get less hands. How many of you need friends like that? You need it, I just don't get it, friend. But oftentimes we don't get that. We get the friend that goes, man, you don't got to put up with that. I know what I would do if I was you. You need to get away from those people. The people who will advocate for your marriage, regardless of what the situation is, are the people you want around you. All right? Lack of self-awareness. This one was funny. I was asking my wife. I got down this list. I'm trying to come up with all these things that fit in these categories. And I was like, I'm just, I'm running short. I can't think of anything else. It's like I don't, I don't have anything else. And she goes, oh, so you're asking me for help. And I said, yeah. And, and she goes, how about lack of self-awareness? How about lack of self-awareness? She didn't say it like that to me, but it's true. A lot of times we have blind spots and we need people to hold a mirror up to us and go, look right here. This is what I see. And help us see the stuff in our life, okay? And lastly, pride. Pride. We've got to be humble and be teachable. All right? We're Americans. This is a tough one for us. We don't like being told what to do. We don't like if somebody points out something that's a little less than beautiful in our life. Right? We don't like that. We don't like being challenged, but let me tell you, it's what you need. You need a few trusted people in your life that have permission to speak into your life. Okay? And, and you can start small. When they talk to you about it, whether this is your community group leader or a, a mentor that, that is discipling you, or it's a close, trusted friend, or it's your pastor, and they say X, Y, Z about you, I think you ought to look at this in your life. It needs a little bit of work. Okay? You don't got to say, well, absolutely, you're right, and, and I'm wrong. Although that would be wonderful in many cases, in my experience. But you can start with, I'm going to think about that. You could be right. You could be right. I, I'm going to think about that. And go away and pray about that. Make sure the Holy Spirit backs it up. Guys, that's about 11 foxes I just talked to you about. And I want you to take these home and as a couple, sit and talk about these together. And see which one of these you both agree on. Hey, we need to work on this. Okay? And what I want you to avoid during that time is this statement. You need to work on this. 
healthy ways to say that are, we need to work on this because marriage is a team effort. Okay? Or, I think I need to work on this. I'm guilty of this. Okay? Work on those together. Guys, I have a really special treat for you today. Um, Some of our folks that are in this room this morning have been counseled by Head to Heart Ministries. It's a wonderful team of counselors out in Round Rock. And I have the founder of that institution here this morning to share with us uh, many different things he's seen in marriages over his many years of counseling married couples from a biblical perspective. And so he's going to share some of those. I'd like you all to warmly welcome Dr. Al Jones to our platform this morning. There's a mic there for you. Have a seat, Al. Can you get it out of there? There we go. It's good to be here this morning. Um, I felt like that I don't have anything else to add. <laughs> it was great. Uh, one, one thing I wanted to add that, that was in whenever I'm working with a couple, I always tell them that during your time of counseling, your prayer is, Lord, fix me, heal me, change me. And you can't pray that for your spouse. The focus is on, on what the Lord wants to do in you. So I've got a, a handful of little foxes, the ones that seem to come up the most in our counseling sessions. And I, I talked with some of the other counselors to get their take, and we all seem to line up pretty close on these. And uh, the very first one I have is not including God in our marriages. And that really comes from this sense of, well, you know, my, uh, my relationship with God's real private. Mm. And, uh, well, I'm just not very good at praying out loud. And we've, we've heard these things. And the interesting thing with that is that it doesn't have to be difficult and it doesn't have to be uh, where it just feels real uncomfortable. And so one of the best ways if you do not pray with your spouse to learn to do is what we call drive-by prayers. And those are the spontaneous kind of things that come up. They're sentence prayers. Someone mentions something, uh, your spouse may mention something, and you just say, Lord Jesus, would you just come into that situation and would you help deal with this? And, and, uh, and it's two sentences, and then you just go about doing your business. And that helps kind of bring you to the place to where you can actually have more extended times of prayer together. Prayer is so intimate, and so it's what such was, a connection. Dr. Jones, what was the scripture that um, you had associated with? I had a Ecclesiastes 4, verse 12, and it says, and I may have these from some different translations, um, Although a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not easily broken. That threefold cord, where God's the center part of that cord, makes marriages strong. So on the second fox you have here, and you're taking it from uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, uh, do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility or I'm, I'm sorry. Let's see. Value others above yourselves. Value others above yourselves. We seem to have a hard time with that. Talk to us about we, that. We do. I think the root to marriage problems is selfishness and self-centeredness. And because what happens is when I'm selfish or I'm self-centered, I don't value my spouse. And if you don't value your spouse, then you end up with 
um, you end up with greater division within the marriage because it's all about me. And I believe that we are called to make our spouse be the king or queen that God gave us Mm -hmm. to be. And that I really believe that the fuel to marriage is that continuously seeking to find out what can I do to be attentive to my spouse's needs. Mm. Okay, so fox number three here from Ephesians 4, verse 32. Uh, This is actually one I had to teach my kids to memorize so that they would treat each other well as well. Uh, It says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God and Christ forgave you. Talk to us about how that is a, is a verse that deals with a fox. Well, we, we know that conflict is inevitable. You are going to have conflict within your marriage. And years ago, my wife and I were working with, with a couple doing some premarital work, and she said, you have to give each other permission to fail. Mm. And we kind of shook our head like, but that's not our expectation. But it was really that sense that we are going to fail. We're going to mess up. And so the quicker we extend grace and forgiveness, the much, much easier it is to get over. It's kind of like the concrete example you, give, mm-hmm. uh, you gave. Another thing that what happens is whenever we are in one of those places where we have, we begin to build up these walls between ourselves. And the walls initially they feel good and they feel safe and comfortable until we realize that what we did was we built a prison that Mm. keeps us apart. Mm. It's kind of like in the old, in the Charlie Brown cartoons, when the teacher speaks, what does Charlie Brown and the rest of the kids hear? Want, 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 want. And what happens is when we have these big walls, then everything that the person says has to filter through that. And it just sounds like want, want, want. Here we go again. Mm. Mm. I love this, this next verse here for dealing with a fox. It's, it starts with 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. It seems like whenever, um, as a spouse, oftentimes the only thing we're talking about is, is what's going on next in our schedule and, and what we're upset about um, instead of being encouraging. So, so talk to us about that. Yeah, it's the issue of time is, is a big piece of that. And uh, it. They say that it takes 10 compliments to undo one negative. And so if, um, if, you're comp- if all you're doing is being negative and you're not affirming and you're not building each other up, then, then that person is running on, on fumes. Mm-hmm. And so there's that real need to build each other up. And one of the things that, that I like to encourage people to do is what I call character-driven compliments. Mm-hmm. And what that is is that we're real, we can be pretty good about, about thanking our spouse for doing a task while that was a great meal or uh, thanks for filling my car up with gas. When if, the, if that compliment is turned into their character, thank you for being so attentive to make sure that my car is always filled up with gas mm. or... Uh, well, I can really tell that you were thinking about me today when you fixed my favorite meal. Mm. And what those do is those complement character above the task. That's so good. I really appreciate it. Man, did y'all catch that? That's just a subtle thing. That's, that's really great. And it is real simple, and it works wonders with kids as well. Mm. You know, oh, you're such a cute little girl. Mm. Well, what about her ability to interact and her ability to have joy and patience and 
some of those other kindness, things. Goodness, gentleness, faithfulness. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's look at this this next one here. Oh man, this is another one. First uh, Peter chapter two verse seventeen. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. And you say here that everyone deserves to be treated with dignity and respect. So you're saying you've had couples come in where they don't even treat each other with dignity and respect. Absolutely. I think that that. Uh, Unfortunately, in the counseling field, is by the time people come to see us, they're usually um, have an attorney's phone gone. number in their phone. And so, a plug for counseling: if if you start to see things going down, get help. So, give us an example, real quick. I, one of your yeah. notes here, I'm I'm very curious about. It says, "Show respect even during conflict." Talk to us about that. Well, it's like during conflict, things like as soon as your voice tone goes up. As soon as you start stepping over onto each other's every sentence, you're no longer showing any form of respect, and you might as well call a timeout and shut it down. Mm-hmm. Timeouts are really effective for that when you start to get real heated uh, to take that break. But, uh, yeah, it's those kind of things. It's talking over each other. It's not listening. It's uh, spending your time planning on your next statement. Mm. And yeah. so Instead of listening, you're thinking about how am I going to, uh, refute How do what I they're saying to that? right now. Yeah. And then also making each other the brunt of your jokes and comments and, and those kind of things. Uh, you want to right. avoid those things. Sarcasm is used Sarcasm as a can really be... Uh, sarcasm communicates a message even though it may sound kind of funny on the outside. It's got a sting to it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's a good segue into this next point here. Um, and you take it from uh, James chapter one nineteen. It says, "Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be. Oh, I said this one earlier. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger." And you say that communication is more than talking. Explain that because I think this is a lost skill. Explain well, what it. happens is is usually when people come in for counseling, they'll say, "Well, we just don't communicate." And I'll always tell them, "You've been talking since you were nine months old." So it's not a matter of, of, of talking. And so we're, communication takes a lot of work, but it's things like time. You have to take the time to communicate and to talk. I always recommend a couple that during their next week before their appointment, they take 10 minutes three times during that week to talk about something other than who's going to go where, when, picking up what, time the kids have this or that Mm -hmm. or what their day was like talking about real life heart issues Mm. and we think well that's only 30 minutes in a week you do 30 minutes in a week and you're you've almost tripled the the national average Mm. wow that's sad but so important what about this next one here um where you say um protection of time reputation and shared secrets and privacy explain that for us a little bit well it's it's like the um, the friend that you mentioned, we should really be careful to protect our spouse's time. Uh, when we are, we all have our list of things to do, but we need to make sure that we're actually carving out some of that time for each other. Mm-hmm. I, it has to be scheduled. Their reputation, as a, you do not want to ever be sharing stuff about your spouse that is negative, that is. Uh, demeaning or or tearing them down, Mm. especially things that you're dealing with within your marriage that are private or that are fairly serious. You want to keep those things between the two of you Mm -hmm. 
uh, with the exception of that trusted counselor or pastor or friend that you're working with. That's so important, I think. Um, now, this number seven, uh, man, you're going to love this one. Um, it, it's talking about responding romantically, and it says, um, the wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. And so um, respond, you said respond romantically, and I added, and often. And often. On there. And often. So uh, tell us a little bit about that. Well, it, most people are familiar with Gary Chapman's The Five Love Languages, and those consist of words of affirmation, gifts, quality time, acts of service, and physical touch. And you need to know what your spouse's love language is so that you can actually be doing things that speak to that language, mm-hmm. that speak to them. If your spouse is has a real high need for words of affirmation, and all you're ever doing is bringing gifts and never saying anything, you're not speaking that language. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's really important to know that. You need to model appropriate love and affection for your kids. And I believe, mm-hmm. and you've heard this before, sex begins in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And so you need to tend to each other's needs outside the bedroom as well as in the bedroom. Mm, that's awesome. Um, okay, so this last one here. Uh, Proverbs 17, verse 22 says, A merry heart goes good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. And you said that we have to schedule time for friendship and fun. We've been doing this date challenge. Guys, it has personally been a blessing to me and my wife quite a bit. But it's also been a challenge for me uh, to make sure that I've got stuff lined up, babysitters, etc., etc. Thank you for all of our backup singers that have been helping my marriage so far. Appreciate you. All right, so share a a little bit about this last one here. Time together is not a luxury. It's a necessity. And so you need to schedule that, that time together. Because if you're not scheduling time together, you're not going to spend time together. It's, it's the tyranny of the urgent. It's going to always take a backseat to other things. And so that means that you do things, you schedule things together. And it doesn't have, you know, usually the question comes up. It's like, well, we don't have the extra funds to, for dates and stuff. Well, I mean, this is a great time of year to hang out at a park, to take a walk. To, uh, you can go and sit and have coffee somewhere and not spend a lot of money. But it's taking that time to actually be together and connect. Mm-hmm. You also, uh, you have to remember that you married your best friend. And so you need to keep that friendship alive. My wife and I have always told people that, that I've been married almost 40 years. I got married when I was like 12. And I, <laughs> sure you did. Actually, actually, I was 19, which is very young. And uh, we're celebrating 40 years in a couple of weeks. That's awesome. But uh, we've, um, you have to, we've told so many people that you not only marry your best friend, but they need to stay your best friend mm-hmm. and, and spend that time together. Talk to us kind of about the myth of, real briefly here before we finish up, about the myth of, well, if I schedule it, then it's not spontaneous, and that means that it loses all, all of its effectiveness. Talk to us right. about that. Right. There's, there's this sense that says, if I have to tell you what I need, then, and you do it, it's not genuine. Yeah. Or if I have to schedule it, then it's just because I scheduled it and it's not real. If we do not communicate what we need, and we, not, we don't schedule what we need, uh, 
it's not going to happen. And it's just as genuine and just as real when it's scheduled as when it's not. That's so good. That's so good. Um, guys, I hope you all have appreciated hearing many years. How many years have you been counseling? I've been counseling since 2002. Since 2000. Okay, so going on 15 and a half years of counseling I hope you've appreciated hearing from him this morning. He's going to be at the back at the connections table. He'll have a few business cards if you or you have a friend who may want to come in and get some counseling. Um, but I hope that you'll go see him and talk to him and ask him um, some additional questions. So uh, give no him problem. a hand. Thank you so much Thank you. for coming Thank you. This, this, this morning and sharing. It's good to be here. Guys, i got just one final point for you before we sum up here, and that is give others permission to help you identify and remove foxes. We're ending where we began with that second, or that uh, Song of Solomon chapter 2. She's asking her friends. She's giving them permission to help her identify and remove foxes that are in her relationship with her husband-to-be. And so give the right people, emphasis on the right people, people who are going to give you biblical counsel. Okay, people who are brave enough to tell you when you're in the wrong. Okay, and they're not just going to be a yes man or a yes gal. You don't want that. Okay, um, at River Rock again, we believe strongly in discipleship, and so if you don't have that person in your life right now that I'm talking about, you need to get that person in your life. Okay. And what that means is you go to that trusted person, that trusted man or woman, and say to them these words. I've had two men come up to me in the last month and say these words to me. I know I could be more than the man I am, and I need help to get there. Praise God for that. Will you disciple me? You guys got that? That's not difficult to say. If you have questions on how to find those type of people, I want you to come see me. I'm going to be at the connections table because I want to help connect you with a community group and a discipleship group. And I guarantee you, in those relationships, the Holy Spirit's going to bring up somebody and they're going to be, this is the one right here. I want you to go ask this person. Okay? It may be, men and women, that you see somebody and you go, man, this person needs help. I want to offer to disciple them. And you go to them. And you offer to do it. But either way, we're going to help you connect with those relationships at River Rock because we think a great tragedy would be for you to be here for a year or two and for you to leave here the same men or women that you showed up as. And that's not what we want. We want you to grow. We want you to leave here and go, man, my life is different because of the men and women of God in this church body. That's what we want for you. That's discipleship. And that's what Jesus told us to be doing.